0: Cord,
1: okay, great. Um, It's great to see you as always. And um, I'm excited for another wonderful class. And today's class is very special because we've got a little more philosophy. Last week, we took a little bit of the break from the philosophy talking about us and our relationship with God. But now we're coming back to uh, discussing um, our topic more directly, all about God. And we've got four questions on today's menu. One is, can God do the impossible, even when the impossible seems either impossible or the impossible is something that is not good for God? It would be a weakness. Okay, we'll we'll get into that. The classical question, can God create a rock that he can't pick up? Question number two, uh, how does free will work with God's knowledge of our future choices? Question number three, Is there anything that God finds difficult to do? And and hint, hint, it has to do with marriage. Question number four, if God had decided to do something, can we change his mind? Okay, so let us start with the beginning. We're gonna start right from the beginning. And of course, to start with the beginning, you gotta start with a joke. So
0: the question is, why are the great pyramids located in Egypt? Anybody knows why the Great Pyramids located in Egypt? Because they were too big and
1: heavy to bring to the British museums. <laughs> okay. Oh no. <laughs> it only gets worse from there. Okay. Did you
0: hear about the heavyweight champion that decided to quit? He gave in his two week notice.
1: Oh. <laughs> I gotta go now. We gotta go. No, no, we no, with no, the jokes. We no, with the jokes.
2: Okay. <laughs> Maybe it's better if the computer doesn't that's work. That's <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> in some ways, right? Yeah, yeah. In some ways, some you know. But um, you know, the question is, can God make my jokes funny? I mean, sorry, that's not the question. The question is. Um, listen listen god, listen we're not talking miracles here are we oh yeah we're talking <laughs> miracles but now are the questions can god do things that are even beyond miracles okay so for example can god create a rock that he can't lift up okay it's a very famous classical philosopher's question you know once you get into the discussion of an infinite god an all-powerful god then your mind starts to go into pretzels because an all-powerful and all-knowing and infinite god creates a lot of issues because we are not all powerful we are not all knowing and um it becomes hard to understand so the philosophers deal with the question and we're going to deal with it as well because it is a classical question and this is all of course about god and uh we will get to some answers that will also give us a lot of meaning in life so the philosophers actually come at this question actually in two different ways of framing the same idea um One is, can God do something that is um, within creation that would be impossible? So, for example, we obviously know God can split a sea. It is a miracle, but he takes a sea, he splits it into two, right? Um, God can make bread fall from heaven. That's fine. God can make an elephant go through a needle. However, the question becomes, can God make an elephant go through the needle while the needle remains the same size and the elephant remains the same size. In other words, that God can shrink the elephant and put it through the small needle or that God can make the needle bigger and put the elephant through it, that we're all fine with. The question is, can God create a miracle of logical impossibilities? Taking a elephant, going through the head of a needle, can God cause a person to be traveling both north and south at the same time? Can he make you board a train and remain on the platform at the same time? Can God win a chess game with one move, which is technically impossible, right? Can God make two plus two equal five? All of these things are physical impossibilities, and so there's a miracle wherein God can do the impossible. But then there's the, so to speak, logically impossible. Um, two plus two cannot be five, right? Or an uh, an elephant in the eye of the needle. The elephant is 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 the size that is a needle. That's the size. That they cannot go together. Can he make one bigger, one smaller? Okay, that's a miracle, but having them the same and doing a miracle that's a question can god do and then the question and then the second way of framing the question as it relates to god himself can god god forbid replicate himself yet still be one can he live in himself but yet still be infinite can he make himself not be able to do something and still be all powerful put in other words the famous classical question can he create a can he create a rock that he can't lift right so you'd say if god is all powerful he can create a rock that he can't lift But now if you say there's the rock and he can't lift it, well, then he's not all powerful anymore. So you see what a uh, conundrum it makes within our minds. So uh, anybody has any thoughts on these questions? A, have you ever thought of them? And B, uh, do you have any thoughts about it?
3: Who sits sits up all night thinking of these things? um, People smarter than me, obviously. But, you know, these
1: things don't even come across my mind. Oh, don't forget, back in the day, uh, people didn't have so many distractions. Uh, you know what, what?
0: Once the once it got dark, what would they do? Especially in a long winter night, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, one night you talk about hearts of palm. What's the blessing in hearts of palm? The other night you are
1: discussing God create a rock they can't lift up? You know, it's, <laughs> it's every night something
0: else. Any, uh, any thoughts or comments by anybody? No? So, so uh, what I'm getting is so far, that nobody's actually really bothered by this question. Although hopefully once you hear the question, it's an interesting question, right? Yes? It's, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it doesn't have much bearing on your life, right?
1: That's the, that's the thing. How much bearing does it have on my life? So, as, as I'm sure you know, rabbis will find a way to make it connect to your life once we get to the answer. I'm, I'm waiting. Yes,
3: I'm waiting for this. Okay. Three, uh, more, yes. joke. Three more jokes later, we'll find out.
1: <laughs> okay. I, I'm telling you, that's one of the questions that people have been wondering can God make my jokes funny? You know, it's, it's a, you know, is it like putting an elephant
0: through a needle? You know, um, any, any thoughts over here? No. Okay. So, The
1: philosophers in the Middle Ages, don't worry, we got three other questions if you don't like this question too much. Um, The philosophers in the Middle Ages concluded that God's omnipotence means that he can do anything that is physically impossible. So he can split a sea, he can make bread fall from the sky, he can make a a dead person alive, but he can't do anything that is logically impossible. Two plus two can't be five, okay? Okay. An elephant can climb through a uh, needle hole. So let's take a look here at some text.
0: Yeah. I'm gonna show Maimonides. Do I have the text open on the second screen? Oh, there it is. Okay. Share. Um, I think I went to where's my mouse? Okay. Uh, let's see. Pa- what page is it on? 142. forty-two. Forty-two, you said, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, awesome. So, Maimonides says like this, the inability
1: to accomplish something that is beyond one's sphere does not constitute imperfection. We cannot call someone weak if they were unable to lift a thousand talents. So too, we do not consider God to be imperfect because he cannot transform himself into a body. In other words... Putting it in other
0: words is um, not having, well, in other, well, before I put it in other words, let's, let's say like, let's say like this. Um, It's like saying, is God um, so
1: strong that he can make himself weak? Well, he said, well, that's not, is strength being weak? Logically, being strong is not being weak, Right. So weakness does not show God's strength. So God being able to do anything does not include being able to make himself weak, creating that rock that he can't pick up, okay? It's what, in the Hebrew, they call it um, a, I don't know how to translate it, the inability, uh, well, I'm not gonna go, I don't even know how to translate that. For those who know Hebrew, anyways, Uh, So it says the same thing over here. Um, It's like, let's say a person. Um, If we were to say that a person cannot lift, um, you know, a a talent is is 30 tons. So if you say a person cannot lift a thousand talents, okay? If you say a person cannot lift a thousand talents, which is 30 tons, um, we won't say they're weak. It's just not within the realm of a strong human being, okay? So similarly, God not being able to do things that are logically impossible is not considered a weakness. It's just not a possibility, okay? It's, with, it's, with that, it's beyond the realm of possibility. So the philosophers say, for God to say two plus two equals five is beyond the realm of possibility, and therefore it's not a weakness, just as saying some, oh, look, this guy is weak because he can't lift up the Empire State Building. It's beyond the realm. That's the idea. They're saying this is
0: beyond the realm of, of, of accomplishments, Um, So being able to put an elephant through a needle, it's not like, it's not weak by saying God can't do that because it's a logical impossibility. Something that's
1: possible, just super improbable, you know, that any of those things God can do. So God can take somebody's dead make them alive. The body's there, you make make them alive. Um, But taking something, but taking two opposite things at the same time, putting them together, that's an impossibility. It's like two plus two equals five any questions or comments no that was well if only we stayed at that we'd be we'd be doing okay but we're not going to stay at that yes
4: i just don't like it though because if you have a god that is omnipotent you can theory change the rules of reality why is this
1: ah that's assuming he can change the rules of reality so that gets so we'll get to that but i like your question good evening rick Joining us from uh, Elon
0: Musk's uh, Starlink space <laughs> station. Okay. Um, text. Uh, what?
1: We can't hear you though. It, it looks like the uh, the Wi-Fi up in space is really bad. <laughs> All right, but you can hear us. That's the important thing. And at the very least,
0: you can hear my jokes. Okay. However, um, despite the philosophers. Um, the
1: mystics take it a step further. So we're discussing, can God do the impossible, even when the impossible seems impossible? Okay, so the mystics say like this, they say something very interesting. We're gonna read the first line that they say this in text number two, shared here on the screen. And they say like this, it is clear that the beliefs that we have that are rooted in our tradition and those that are sourced in prophetic revelation cannot be falsified by logic. So I'm going to read that one more time. It is clear that the beliefs that we have that are rooted in our tradition and those that are sourced in prophetic revelation cannot be falsified by logic. Stop. Ah, I just missed the mosquito. Okay. Um, cannot be falsified by logic. So what he's saying is, is that, yes, logic will tell us that God not being able to put an elephant through a needle is not a weakness that's perfectly logical and if we only believed in god based on logic alone then that's okay we'd be fine with that the issue is that our belief in god is not predicated solely on logic but also on faith and what the prophets tell us and therefore therefore if the prophets tell us
0: or if our tradition tells us that god has that God has a power beyond logic, then we will come to believe
1: that. And so that's what the mystics argue. They say that God who created logic and is the architect of logic is not constrained by logic. So even though logic tells us that putting an elephant as an elephant through a needle hole as a needle is logical impossibility, but God is not bound by logic. So the same thing, two plus two plus equals five. Can God make two plus two mm-hmm. equals five? Well, if we're talking logic and if we only understood God based on logic, no. But if our tradition tells us that God has an ultimate um, omnipotence to do even the logical impossibilities, then God can also make two plus two equals five. And so the mystic says, God is not constrained by human logic. So now we have two classes of thought. We have the philosophers that say, if we understand God through logic, saying that God cannot do a logical impossibility is not a problem. Then we have the mystics that say, well, but our tradition tells us that God can be greater than that, can be greater than logic beyond logic. And ultimately, the Hasidic masters synthesize the two opinions. And uh, the Hasidic masters say like this. They say that both opinions are correct. God, when he created the world, decided to place himself within the constraints and limitations of the world. And therefore, within the world that we live in, which is a world dictated by logic, God cannot create a rock that he cannot lift. However, Hasidus, however, the mystics, are talking about the expansive view of God. God as he is beyond the limitations that he created. So, for example, let's say I'm playing a game with my children. And I create rules for this game and I play it with them. So on the one hand, within the game, I am constrained by the rules of the game. But technically, I have the power and the ability to go beyond the constraints and the rules of the game. And um, so this, this means that God himself, anytime he chooses, can revert to his transcendent state and do something that is technically impossible. So this is how Hasidic philosophy uh, puts together the two. Now, there is a actual example from the Talmud where God himself has done a logical impossibility. So let's take a look at this. Uh, it's called figure uh, 5.1. I'm gonna share it on the screen.
0: So let's take a look here. Uh, second, one more time. Rabbi is all... Uh, It's like in today, those who know what that word means. Okay. Um, Okay. Take a look here. The Ark Paradox. In the
1: Holy Temple, we are told that the Holy of Holies was 20 feet wide. At the same time, we are told, sorry, 20 cubits wide. At the same time, we are told That the arc itself was 2.5 cubits wide. We are also told that on each side of the arc, there were 10 cubits. So that is a logical impossibility because if the arc were to take up the 2.5 cubits that it would take, well, then you would only have those are good at math, and I'm not. You'd only have 8.75, am I correct? I think 8.75 cubits on either side of the arc. Yet we are told that um, there was that amount of space on each side. So this is an example of God creating within creation a logical impossibility. Each of the items took up space, but yet did not take up space at the same exact time. So the Ark did take up space and it would be akin to an elephant, the size of an elephant, uh, going through a needle kind of like doctor who's telephone booth now i don't know the reference but if somebody can enlighten me on doctor who uh what
0: what,
4: what yeah so who,
1: who is doctor who
4: yeah it's essentially a telephone booth when you open it up our room on the inside
1: uh uh-huh, uh uh-huh. i see
4: labyrinth of, yeah
1: got it got it so it's all I, I got it okay So, you open it up and it opens up into this uh, giant thing. Yep. Yep.
4: Like a a milk skin bag. Got it.
1: So, it's like anything, anything. Yeah. A lot of these fantasy books where you have a a room that looks that that's one size on the outside, but you get in there and somehow it's that much larger. That's akin to putting an elephant, the size of an elephant, within a needle. Um, So, that is an example of God creating something that is uh, within nature that is. beyond that is also you know logical and possibility but now let's discuss what about um what about is there anything can god create a rock that he can't lift up and over here we have a
0: different example of a
1: best example of god creating a rock that he can't lift up would be us we our rocks that God can't lift up. What I mean? God decided to give us free will. And so the cat is out of the bag. God created a being that he said he's not going to interfere with. And so we have our free will. And uh, if you want to say that God is incapable of quote unquote controlling us and uh, he created us, but so to speak, he can't lift us up. We have to lift ourselves up. So that is one example within creation. And we're we're going to discuss that idea a little bit further, but I want to share with you um, just a quick video over here. Um, I can get my computer to work. So give me a moment here. Like this, it's kind of saying the same thing we said, but sometimes seeing it on a video
0: makes it more clear. So one second, that's assuming that it'll load, of course. Was that an ad? Ah, we love ads. Well, I won't share the screen until the ad is over. <laughs> okay
1: skip ads what does it take to be a skip ads rabbi shachat Now i don't know
3: if can anybody god creates something that is too I heavy sure for him to lift
5: it's the age-old question can god create a rock that he can't pick up which kind of follows on a little bit from what Rabbi jacobson was just saying um and i'll be honest with you i've I've contemplated this question since I was about 12 years old and I'll explain to you why but I'm gonna need a few extra seconds for this I was in a doctor's surgery a doctor's office surgery is what we call it in the UK and um, With my mother and there was a comic book now at home I wasn't allowed comic books So thank God for my cousin who lived two doors away and I can read all the superhero comic books there but here I was allowed to read it in the doctor's office and I remember vividly this one scene of Superman trying to save the world flying at full force towards, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but the question, the caption was suddenly, what happens when an unstoppable, unstoppable object, or unstoppable human, hits an immovable object? And then, uh, would Isaac Chauchette please now come into the doctor's office? And my mother took me in, and I didn't get a chance, but I wanted to turn the page, but I couldn't turn the page, and I wanted to find out what happens, and I went into the doctor's office, and then we left. And I'm perplexed and I need to know the answer. So the following week, I turned around and I said, Mom, my, my, my throat is still hurting me. I need to go back to the doctor. <laughs> and she said to me, um, Okay, fine, but if your throat is hurting you, you won't be able to go to Ellie Bleiman's bar mitzvah tonight. In the end, I went to Ellie Bleiman's bar mitzvah and I never got the answer to my question. Um, but the truth of the matter is that. In and of itself, arguably, the question is an absurd question. And my father, Olav Sholem, had an ongoing to-and-fro with the Rebbe on this precise question. In that my father maintained, being the philosopher and rationalist that he was, that there are certain things that are just that defy all aspects of even human intellect, comprehension, logic. For example, you can't make a square circle. It's just an absurdity in and of itself. And therefore in a very similar vein you can't really say can God make a rock that he can't pick up. The Rebbe, however, countered using a very famous example that we find in the Torah itself. When you look at the ark in the Holy of Holies, you find that when you measure from one side of the ark to the wall of the Holy of Holies, it was five cubits. When you measure from the other side of the ark to the other wall, it was five cubits. And you measured the in between the two parts of the ark itself, you had another two and a half cubits. So from one end to the other is altogether how much? 12 and a half cubits. And yet, when you measured from one end to the other, you only got 10 cubits. How do you explain that? It's what is called nimnahanimnois. It's the square circle. It's the impossible. So can God create a rock that he can't pick up? Absolutely. And guess what? He could still pick it up. Is that a contradiction? That's God.
0: Thank you very much. You got confused with the numbers over there. Numbers over there. Numbers over there. Ooh, we heard ourselves twice.
1: Yeah, but um, regardless, that's really the, the best. The best part is, can God do it? Yes, and that is God. God can do opposites, and uh, so He'll create the rock, but then He'll be able to pick it up as well. So God can do the impossible. And the truth is. And if we have time at the end of the class, I'll show a video. But the truth is, we are—we replicate God. Not we're—we're re- sorry. We're creating God's image, and therefore, in our lives, we also have the ability to do opposites. There were times people would come to the Rebbe, and we'll show the stories at the end, and say, "Rebbe, my time is full. I have no time to get X, Y, Z done. I've been doing too much. Excuse coming for you now." Yeah. And uh, the, the the Rebbe would tell him, "Okay, but now you just have to commit to do more, and then you'll be able to do more, right?" And like, why? And then, so this is the idea. We are like God is that we can do the logically impossible. Sometimes if we commit, we work really hard and we decide uh, that that's what we want to do. We can sometimes accomplish the logically impossible. You see certain people, they, they you know, the, what, what they were able to accomplish in uh, such a short time because uh, they committed to being godlike in that manner. Um, okay. Yes. You had a story? No. Or are you just trying I'll, to get, the trying to get rid of the mosquito? Okay. Okay. So hopefully that's enough, uh, you know, for those who complained last week with the class wasn't enough about God. Hopefully this is enough to make your head spin. So now we're going to get to point number two of the class. And the question is, does God's foreknowledge preclude um, our free will? So, again, does God having the ability to know um, what we're going to do, does that mean we do or don't have free will? Any questions or com- any thoughts? So again, does God's free will? Sorry, does God's knowledge take away our ability to choose? All right. So we believe we have free will, but yet God knows what we're going to do. So a- any questions or comments? Any thoughts? You got it. You got to share. You can uh, put in the. Yes, Rick. Oi, oi,
2: oi! It always comes back to that.
1: Oi, what do you mean, oi?
2: Oi. This, this question of you know free will, it always comes back. So the question you just asked is, again, is, is, an, is it predetermined or not? The way you just stated it was different. I forget exactly how you just stated it. But
1: um, Well, I think I said, does God knowing what we're going to do, does that remove our free will? Exactly.
2: it's it's one of life's biggest problems you know it's it's are we responsible are we not how much can we just say well everything is godly therefore it really doesn't matter god knows what i'm gonna do it's already done so (laughs) how much responsibility does that relieve us of
0: okay boots
2: on the ground um manifestation of that question of how we live our lives. How do we, how much do we say it's all godly? And therefore, okay. So, oh, so
1: you got a good question. I, I hope I have a really good answer at the end of this
4: class. Yes, Aaron.
1: Now the one explanation
4: I heard that <clears throat> is uh, <clears throat> it's like, if you watch a recording of a sporting event and you know, like you <clears throat> you watch the recording of the Bucks game this past Sunday and you already know, you know, the Bucks won and you're, um,
0: <laughs> oh, they, and, you're they watching,
4: <laughs> and you're, and you're, and you, you're watching the tape. Um, it's just because you know, what's going to happen doesn't mean, um, you're necessarily controlling what's going to happen. And and that's kind of what it's like when God is, you know, watching what's happening in the world. It's, it's because he's outside of time. He, if he would, he, because it, I'm not explaining it exactly right, but that, um, yeah, that, that's one That's one example, like a analogy to kind of how it is. Um, yeah,
1: an analogy I say is like, let's say I, I say I'm going to say a joke, and you know that it's going to be a bad joke. Does your knowledge, knowing that I'm going to say a bad joke, does that take away from my choice?
4: <laughs> There's a counterpoint to that, though. Yes, the if counterpoint. You have, if you have God being the omnipotent, omnipotent being who is constantly sustaining and recreating the universe with knowledge of what could transpire, unless... Everything goes black, and to show, you know, right, allowing what is going to sustain. Does that mean that God is inherently having a choice in that and holding things? to a certain You're fact? saying
1: because God is ultimately choosing to continuously create the world with knowing that you're going to make those bad choices. Is He not a part of your bad choices? Exactly.
4: Does God then inherently have a hand in that because there's no divine inter- divine intervention? Um. Yes,
1: it is kind of a separate question, which is our, our question is more but that mitigates free will. Then
0: God is
4: still partially responsible. Then meaning humans. Didn't but did have-
0: you make did you make that choice to eat the cheeseburger? So God knew you were going to eat the cheeseburger. He even created you
1: eating the cheeseburger at the moment you're eating it. Yes, but he still didn't make you eat the cheeseburger. But who put the
0: yitzhara
4: in the human? Well, he
0: gave you the evil inclination, but do we believe that you have the ultimate choice to decide to eat it or not eat it? I don't know why. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, i talking
1: about good jokes. I had a really good one. That's related to what we're saying. <laughs> so uh, this wife comes up to her husband and says, you know, I'm divorcing you. So the husband says, why is that because I'm an insufferable know-it-all? She says, yeah. He says, ah, I knew it. <laughs> you see, I finally got a good joke. Huh? Just to prove you wrong, I have free will. I can get good jokes once in a while, you see? <laughs> so this is, the, this is the classic answer. That is the classic answer. The classic answer is that um, God is, just put it simply, God is timeless. And uh but just because he lives beyond the confines of time and he knows what choice you're going to make, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's forcing you to make those decisions. The question is, if you have free will to make those decisions, how does God's plan ultimately play out? I mean, can't we really super mess it up?
4: No? No? To erase
1: all Israel after um uh, we'll get into is God ever we'll get into the last part of the class is does God ever um change his mind but the question is um how does God's plan work out if we truly believe that we have free will how does God's plan work out now I saw a novel explanation I found it now in other places I and this you know I've had one explanation for a while but this one really uh really takes the cake, really shares it really well. So let's take a look over here. I wanna share with you just a quick video of Rabbi Manus
0: Friedman, very fascinating point over here. Want you to listen to this? Think about it, because it's very deep.
6: Well, here's the secret. 6,000 years ago, when God envisioned the world, the first thing he envisioned was your choices. He envisioned what you're going to choose. And around those choices, He built His plan. So everything that happens is destined to happen as a result of your choice. So do we really have free choice? Absolutely. What about God's plan? It's based on your choice. So knowing that you're going to give tzedakah, God planned for you to have a long life. Like the story with Rabbi Akiva's daughter. Had she not given the the charity, fed the poor man, had she not made that choice, the plan would have been different. She would have died on her wedding, at her wedding. But because she chose to give that charity, God planned a longer life for her. So the entire divine providence plan, the whole vast eternal plan, is based on your choice. So your choice doesn't come after God's plan. God's plan comes after your choice.
0: Ways to use olive oil that might... just uh, shot this other video. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, that's a very,
1: very interesting thought. And, and honestly, till uh, when I was preparing this class, I'd never heard it, but once I saw it and I looked it up more, it, there is such a concept there that yes, we have free will to make choices. And God knowing our choices makes the world around our choices. And it's such a fascinating, mind blowing concept that brings up other questions. Like, one second. So, God knew our choices. So, does that also mean that He also knew how we're going to mess up? And so, maybe like He never thought of bringing the Mashiach earlier? Like, how does it work? Again, I think anytime we talk about God, any answer we're going to give is also going to give us more questions. And we are going to, get a little bit later to what they have in some movies, what are
4: called alternate endings.
1: Oh, you like alternate endings? I was
4: literally just thinking this totally supports the comic book theory of like alternate universes. And yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So we'll, we'll get to we'll get to in the end a little uh, bit about alternate endings, uh, which is a fascinating thing itself. But again, we're, we're all working here and twisting your mind into a pretzel in these classes because we're t- discussing God. And so think about it like this, when you make a choice, your choice does create the world that's around you and you're not messing up God's plan because God knew you were gonna make that choice. And therefore he created the world as such and whatever is happening in your life as such based on your choice that he knew you were gonna make. But you still had a choice to make that. And the consequences are the consequences of your choice. But you're also not messing up God's plan at the same time.
0: Now, where's Rick, my, my uh, antagonist over here? Uh, any any other thoughts by anybody else? Rick, we don't we don't hear you. A very interesting video.
2: I heard several different points, not not a single concept. Okay. You know, in that he started out saying, "God knew." our choices before God created the world. Is that what I heard in the beginning?
1: Yes. God knew, God knows the choices that we're going to make be- because God lives beyond time. And so he's already living in the, in the time beyond when we made the choice. Yeah. Fascinating.
2: And, and, and deep, well put, um, you know, it's, it's take volumes to unpack that
1: yes yes um let's see we got a comment here in the chat i don't think the world would evolve if it was based on our choices we make many wrong ones Mm. you're saying would the world oh well evolve in a good way you're saying we make so many bad choices um well this goes back to a general concept that we have that uh, good is cumulative and bad is not. In other words, yes, throughout the generations, many sins have been made, but sins get wiped away. Any good deed lasts and is eternal. Therefore, uh, goodness is building up throughout all time and evil comes and goes. And therefore, uh, the Mashiach will ultimately come when there's a cumulative wave ah. of deeds. Okay. Interesting. Any other thoughts by anybody else? Because I don't want to hold... Uh hold anybody hostage to your thoughts. No, otherwise forever hold the peace. Okay. So um, one more, by the way, example of this idea that God knowing what will happen does not affect our choice is like, that's uh, not, again, these are not all great examples, but like, let's say you throw a ball up in the air and you know, it's going to fall down. Your knowledge that it's going to fall down is not what creates it, that it's going to fall down. Your, in other words, your knowledge can be separate from why something does what it does. That's the point of the example. Your knowledge of something that's going to happen in the future does not actually affect that that's why it's going to happen that way. Okay. Um, Change can't take place unless we have the autonomy of free will. Yes, that's correct. Obviously, free will is a basis, and that's why we had lesson two, I think it was, all about free will. And therefore, we have to, once we say we have free will, now we have all these other conundrums and questions, and that's what we're trying to answer today. Um, So again, does God's knowledge take away our free will? That's what we just discussed. Okay. So again, God, knowing what we're going to do, does not affect what we're going to do. They're two separate things. Just as if you know that I'm going to say a bad joke doesn't make me make the bad joke. Uh, And we took it a step further today that also... um, god's knowledge of what we're going to do made god create the world based on our future choices okay next question is is there anything that god finds
0: difficult to do now we're going to start with some text over here um we're actually we don't have to discuss the text um when god created the world how did he do it anybody knows did god create the world Anybody? Word, very good. It says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, the question is,
1: why doesn't the Torah just say, God created light? God uh, created uh, the trees. God, is, why does it say that God said? What's the point in saying that God said? And uh, the commentary's answer that it wants to point out that nothing in creation is difficult for God. So it uses that God said, if it would say God created this, and it doesn't tell us how, well, maybe it was difficult, maybe it wasn't difficult. So therefore, the Torah tells us God said to teach us the concept that for God, creating is not very difficult. Parenthetically, this is one of the reasons why on Shabbat, there are certain actions that we're not allowed to do, and it has nothing to do with how difficult it is. Just as God creation was not difficult on Shabbat, there are some things that are difficult that uh, you're totally allowed to do, like um, giving a sermon, listening to the rabbi's jokes, you know, things like that. And then there are some things that are not difficult that we're not allowed to do, like uh, flipping on a light switch. Okay. So difficulty, just as in God's creation, difficulty is not a factor in his creation. Same thing in our Shabbat rest from creation. Creation is not necessarily related to difficulty. Okay. Now, The great example that Talmudic sages say is if you walk in the street with a needle in your pocket, you might be liable for carrying on Shabbat, whereas you can carry a couch across your house and biblically, you have not uh, done anything wrong. Rabbinically, of course, the rabbis will always uh, not let you do anything. That's a whole other story. Um, So with this in mind, that creation, nothing is really difficult for God. And uh, good evening, Nina. Thank you for coming. With nothing being difficult for God. So. Um, there are though a couple things that God says is difficult for him. Unsurprisingly, marriage makes it on that list. But, uh, before we get to that one, we've got, uh, two others.
0: Uh, observation does not apply causation. I like that line. Okay. Uh, it's going to be text number. I guess text number seven. Oh, here it is. Text number 7a. Rabbah
1: Barbar Khanna says that Rabbi Yochanan says it is difficult for God to match a couple together as was the splitting of the sea. Now, this line can cause your head to split. Whoa. Okay. That making a marriage is difficult, I understand. Okay, now I'm kidding. But uh, what does it mean that it was difficult for God to split the sea? So wait, so God creating heaven and earth, that was easy. God, uh, you know, All the, you know, the flood and everything else that he does, well, that's easy. But the splitting of the sea, that was difficult. And while we're at it, why is matchmaking difficult? And we have one more statement of the sages. The sages say, providing a person's livelihood is difficult for God as splitting of the Red Sea, for it says, he provides food to all flesh, and the nearby is the verse to him who divided the Red Sea into parts. So regardless, what we have is, as you have in the figure over here, Clearly, splitting the sea was difficult for God for some reason. And it says matchmaking and providing sustenance was also difficult for God. But how can we say, God, something is difficult for me? You know, something that I always tell people all the time. You know, people are like, well, does God have, you know, time for me? And I say the same God that has time to create the whole world and run the whole world has time for you. He's, he's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He, dealing with you and dealing with the whole world is just as easy for him. It's not like it's more energy to deal with you. So that being said, and that being true. So why are these three things difficult for God? Splitting of the sea, matchmaking, and providing us sustenance. And he uh, writes, somebody here writes in the chat, only thing that is difficult for him is sending us negative circumstances. He doesn't do it too soon. Um, are you saying matchmaking is a negative circumstance? Okay, I'm kidding. Um I- uh, splitting of the sea wasn't negative, it was, was positive um, for providing sustenance. So the question is, why are these things difficult? Again, this is all about the course about God. We want to understand what is difficult for God. Is there anything that's difficult for him? Okay, we'd assume the answer is no, but clearly our sages are telling us there are certain things that are difficult for us. So here, we'll go back to something that we said earlier in the class. Uh, Or I say it'll relate to something we said earlier in the class. Uh, Let's read. So here is is some text we're going to read. This is from the Zohar. The Zohar says, when God desired to split the sea. So first we're going to explain why splitting the sea was hard. When God desired to split the sea for the Jewish people, Rachav, the archangel of Egypt, protested before God. Master of the universe, why do you exact justice upon the Egyptians? Let's split the sea for the Jews. They are all guilty before you. They both survivals. They have both committed sexual wrongs. They have both
0: committed murder. Aren't you just and true? That moment, if it should say it, it was difficult for God to override his sense of judgment.
1: So, what is this trying to tell us? What this is trying to tell us is like this. As we said earlier, God creates rules, and he likes to operate within the system of rules that he created. And so on the one hand, he's telling his angels, I'm going to destroy the Egyptians because they're evil. I'm going to drown them in the sea. Okay, so now God is operating with his mode of judgment. Okay, he's saying, I'm going to operate in the mode of judgment. Well, then suddenly, at the same time, God says, but I'm going to have mercy on my Jewish people. And the angels say, one second, if you're if you're in a mode of judgment, judge them all equally. They're all bad. And if you're gonna judge in a mode of mercy, we'll be nice to the Egyptians too. And so this is what um the Zohar says is what it means it was difficult for God. God doing something highly unusual to operate two opposite emotions in the same instance, in the same place at the same time. And that's what they mean by it is difficult. In other words, difficult is when God follows and doesn't follow his own rules at the same time. Finally, this is an empowering message for us. That God will do something difficult for us. For us as Jewish people. Which is a discussion we had in um, the last couple of Torah portions. It says that Esau and Jacob are equal. They're brothers. But at the same time God loves Jacob. That's for another time. Um... So again, difficult doesn't mean physically difficult for God. Difficult means that it's difficult because God has to do something that he's quote-unquote uncomfortable doing. He's uncomfortable operating at two opposite modes at the same time. Now we're going to take this a step further with the, with the Hasidic philosophy. Hasidic philosophy takes this idea that at the splitting of the seed, there were two opposite modes operating at the same time. And we're going to take it a step further in a mystical way. Again, this will have a lot of meaning
0: in our lives. So let's take a look here. Um, So it says over here, why is splitting the sea considered difficult? Oh, sorry.
1: Um, Oh, yes. At, this is from the Rebbe, he explains, at the splitting of the sea, there was a revelation of God's infinity and transcendence that permeated the finite system of creation and caused a change in the laws of nature. This is, so to speak, difficult not because it is difficult in the literal sense for God to accomplish this. After all, God created nature and certainly it is not difficult for him to institute changes in the system that he created, but it is difficult in the sense that it constitutes a change from the default that God has set into place. So in other words, we're taking this idea a step further. Just as we said earlier, God chose to operate in this world in a mode of logic. And generally he does. God also chose to operate in this world in a mode of nature. And here suddenly God is choosing to do a miracle which is breaking nature, which is not something God likes to do, right? We see this. It's very clear, right? God doesn't like to go beyond nature. A simple example is even the splitting of the sea. If God truly wanted the Jewish people to enter the land of Israel, he should have just teleported them from Egypt to Israel, okay? But no, God tries to make it as natural as possible. But yet here, God employed a giant miracle of splitting of the sea. So he's, in other words, he's breaking nature to an extent. He's not doing a nature like teleporting. That would be a greater miracle. But he is still doing a miracle. He's breaking the nature, the waters of the sea should flow. And instead, he's splitting them. Now, you say that this applies to truly any miracle, that any miracle in a sense is difficult for God. And the answer is you are correct. God in general doesn't like to do bombastic miracles. And he doesn't always do bombastic miracles. Uh, The story of Parma is a great example. That's a miracle that is part of nature. Uh, Many miracles that God does are part of nature. okay. But then there are some miracles which are just so totally beyond, like oil burning for eight days. Okay, That's a beyond miracle. But actually, most of the miracle of Hanukkah was not that type of miracle. The war, it was a physical war. The Maccabees had to fight. They even lost some of their people. Yes, it's a miracle, but it's a miracle within nature. But when God has to do a miracle that breaks creation, um, that is difficult for god because he doesn't like to break creation but then there is one more element that made the splitting of the sea the ultimate breaking of god's rules that makes it difficult for god and that is there's one other thing that god uh, did at the splitting of the sea. Uh, for god to express himself in a finite fashion within the sphere of the finite creation is not difficult for god to express himself in an infinite fashion is not difficult. However, for God to express and reveal his infinite energy within the finite world is, so to speak, difficult. As explained, at the splitting of the sea, there was a revelation of God's infinity and transcendence that permeated the finite systems of creation to the point that the laws of nature were suspended and the sea transformed into dry land. Moreover, the entire concept of the event was a revelation of the infinite light of God that was patently revealed here in this world. Uh, And in fact, that's the other element. God was both revealed in a miraculous way and people saw God. It says that what the Jewish people saw at the splitting of the sea, even the prophet Ezekiel did not see. So the point is
0: that the splitting of the sea was so miraculous, so amazing and wonderful that the everything that God put into place in his regular
1: world is suspended on two accounts. Number one, the operation of nature was suspended, okay? That's a a miracle of, of supernatural within nature. The sea is there, but now it's split. And then in God's revelation, God created this world in a way where he's hidden. We don't see God. Prophets maybe see God. We don't usually see God. Mount Sinai, we all saw God. And this is similarly at the splitting of the sea, we saw God. And so here you have a single miracle in which God broke his rules in two elements. One is we saw God with our physical eyes. And number two is um, God breaking nature. Now, this is actually going to be what the world is like when Mashiach comes. That's what makes the world of Mashiach so amazing. God told, for example, Moses, a human being cannot see me and live. A human being cannot see God and live. But yet when Mashiach comes and says, you are going to see me. So that's really what the time of Mashiach is. Mashiach is going to be a time in which we will see God. We will see God clearly, and yet uh, we'll be able to handle it. So that's when the ultimate difficult trick that God is going to pull off. But in the meantime, uh, what's difficult for God is, so to speak, living within nature and also living beyond nature. Any questions or comments? See, tonight's uh, topic is so philosophical. Everybody's head is spinning.
4: What about Sinai, though? Because Horsino was lifted over Ploetra like a like a football. So would that not be something that broke nature at the time of Hashem's like presence?
0: Yeah, Mount Sinai was also. Again, every miracle has an element of it.
4: Um yeah,
0: every every everyone has an element. Uh, yeah. but splitting of the he came first.
1: <laughs> okay, hope I'm not confusing you all. Okay. Um now let's get back to um Why is marriage and livelihood a similar idea? Well, marriage, do we have to explain why marriage
0: is difficult? No? Okay. Um, Well, one way of looking at it is marriage is again,
1: if you want to say, you know, the fusion of, infinite with finite so fusion of opposites and that's where the marriage is and at the same time that god creates us in a way that we want our independence that's how we grow up we want to be independent um individualism is a big part of who we are right that's why kids slowly but surely break break away and have their independence yet at the same time in a marriage we transcend their independence and create a single unit so taking two separate people with their own independence and uh, putting them together into a single unit is the idea of of putting two opposites together. So that is really what's, quote unquote, is difficult for God, putting opposites together. So when God pulls off marriage, it's difficult. The same thing is um, livelihood. Is livelihood is in a similar sense. Uh, On the one hand, our livelihood should be dependent on our deeds. Uh, But yet at the same time, god so to speak creates our livelihood in a way that it's partially dependent on our deeds or partially not you know if, if our livelihood was fully dependent on our deeds i think some of us would be one day hungry one day eating rice and beans you know the next day eating uh filet mignon and the next day eating uh you know
2: back to rice and beans, back to rice and beans. yeah yeah or
1: worse you know and uh so in order for god to create a world in which uh there's there's a um his proper sustenance to everything he creates it in a way that there's kind of this fusion of uh, judgment and mercy together. The, the infinite love towards us along with a finite judgment that he does give us. Um, so that's, you know, one way that they're connected, but regardless, you know, we don't really have to uh, delve too much in it because we're running out of time. But the point, the basic idea is that what is difficult for God, obviously nothing is technically difficult, but when God needs to fuse two opposites together, That's what we call difficult for God. Okay. Hopefully, um, they're spinning a little bit because that's the fun of this. Okay. Let's get to the next part. And uh, the next part is,
0: I'd say, very practical. Next part is, um, can we summarize what we said till now?
1: I think we should. We should summarize. So we had three questions so far in this class. Question number one, can God create a rock that he can't lift up? And so we started off with the philosopher saying that God cannot do that, which is logically impossible. But then we said, but that is God as he's limited to logic. God truly, with our faith, we understand that he transcends logic and therefore he can do anything. Um, Then we asked, does God's knowledge preclude our free choice? And we said, no, just because God knows what we're going to do does not change what we're going to choose at the same time um we said that also god knowing what we're going to choose therefore he creates the world around our choices and the final thing that we just discussed is there anything god finds difficult to do and the answer is nothing can be difficult for um god technically but practically what we might call difficult is when god has to put two opposites together and god loves to do that do the difficult for us for us human beings, because he loves us so much and he's willing to extend himself in ways that are quote unquote difficult for him. Final question is, if God has decided to do
0: something, can we change his mind? So can our actions or prayers change or
1: avert a predetermined event? Okay. So again, let's say there's something
0: that's supposed to happen to you. Uh, can you pray to change it? What do you think? Be careful if the answer me no or yes. You got to explain because there's problems either way. But uh, again, can you change God's mind? So, you, so you're quoting from the prayers. We say clearly, we say,
1: uh, tefillah, prayer, repentance, and tzedakah will remove bad decrees i can answer okay
0: okay so what hashem wants more than anything is a relationship with us is intimacy with us is a deep connection so he wants us to share it's not it's not about it's like it's like in a marriage where you know one, one, husband, second.
1: You know, you know, one, one second first of all the, the connection is very um staticky. But second of all, um second of all the question is not whether he wants to hear from us this is more a philosophical question yes god wants to hear from us but if i pray to him is that going to change god's mind so in other words let's say god forbid somebody <laughs> supposed to die from a certain disease I yes and they pray to god
0: i believe the answer is yes are
1: they now changing god's mind there's a precedent yes what's are with we- um yeah, Nina, it's it's very it's very difficult here because you have a lot of static. So maybe type it, okay?
0: Okay.
1: Okay, thank you. Okay, yes. Sure. We have a precedent
2: when Abraham negotiates yeah. with God and changes, and and I think the text says changes God's mind. This happens a few times, and yeah. if. Um, and I was at Sinai, I can talk to God, I can, I can okay. negotiate, I believe, and I think that, yeah, we can change God's mind.
4: Change it's God's known
2: mind. to happen with human beings. The, the human godly relationship has a precedent for this happening.
4: Uh-huh.
2: So. Good.
1: Someone points out, Anita's quoting a story, there was a king, Hezekiah, that the prophet came and told him, you're going to die. And uh, the king Hezekiah prayed to God, and he didn't die. You have 15 more years. But this is problematic. Let's take a look here. Let's take a look at this text. This is from the story of Balaam.
0: Uh, Balaam, the, the, the prophet, wanted to curse the Jewish people. And um, you know, Balak hired Balaam to curse the Jewish people. Balaam was
1: a prophet. And Balaam brought back a message, and he said like this. God is not a man that he should lie, nor is he immortal, that he should have a change of heart. Would he say and not do, speak and not fulfill? And the verses continue. The Jewish people are blessed. And I'm not going to take that back. So again, God himself is saying, I'm not a man. I don't lie. I don't change my mind. God says, I don't change. I don't. God says, I don't have a change of heart. Okay, everybody is saying God does change his mind and God does love us and listen to us. And I hear you and we have to believe that. But seemingly the, the verse says God is not a human being and he doesn't change his mind, right? Isn't that, isn't
0: that what God tells Billaume? He says, sorry, the new people are blessed. You're not gonna change God's mind, right? Um,
1: let's take a look here at an, uh, an opposing text it says that God does change his mind. So we're going to have to figure out the verses themselves. This is when God was very, very um, bothered by the sins of the generation of Noah. And here you have the quote to read the second text. God said, I will erase the humans whom I created from upon the face of the earth, from man to beast, from creeping thing to fowl of the heavens, for I regret that I made them
0: um so god says i regret that i made them so what is that so does god have regrets does god change his mind does god not and
1: there's a more interesting story that really brings this conundrum together there's another story in the uh book of samuel with king saul king saul was the first king of israel God told him that he's going to be a king, and when the king failed to fully execute the mission that God tasked him with, God instructed uh, the prophet Samuel to approach King Saul and tell him that uh, you are no longer a king. And these are the words that the prophet told King Saul. The prophet told him, "I regret that I made Saul the king." Okay. So the prophet tells. King Saul, sorry to tell you, but God's saying, I regret that I made you king. So what does King Saul do? He tries to beg and tries to do mercy and tries to do teshuva. And you know what the prophet answered him? The mighty God of Israel doesn't lie, nor does he change his mind. Wait, wait, what happened? What do you mean you don't change your mind? You just told me you don't have regrets. And suddenly you're having a regret. Which way is it? Maybe if I, if I do teshuva, you'll have regret and you'll make me king again.
3: Yes, uh, Dr. Yannick. So, so, don't we have this whole Haftorah on, on the Mincha of Yom Kippur about some guy who doesn't want to go to a city to tell them they're doomed
7: because, I, I know.
3: because he knows that God is going to forgive them and change the mind, change, it essentially change his mind because the people repent? Did, did I miss that? Did, this is, that? That seems to be a change. That seems to be a big mind changer there.
1: Right, so you've got, you've got a good point. and my point is that looking through the text itself, some places, and, and obviously our prayers, all talk about repentance and changing God's mind. but there are other verses like Bilam, like the prophet Samuel, that say, "God is not a man, God doesn't change his mind." In other words, we're fickle. We human beings, we're fickle. You know, what we want today, we don't want tomorrow. What we want tomorrow, we don't want today. You know, we change our mind every few minutes, right? We can't decide. And the prophet is saying, God, is greater than human beings. He doesn't change his mind. He knows what he's doing. Huh? Okay. He, Isaac, the commentary say he never wanted him to be killed. Okay, that, that's a different story. He was testing him. So to begin with, he never planned on him slaughtering him. He just wanted to see if he was willing to
0: do it. Okay? Um. So is everybody following here the problem? Okay, good. All right. So. I don't think it's a problem. I think it's an opportunity. Yeah, but the problem is, do we believe
1: that God does change his mind or not? When the prophet Balaam says God will not change his mind. Is that true? So why, why do we have to choose a side? Oh, I, I'm not, I'm not, we have to, we have to reconcile, really. So, is God, yeah, does God change his mind or not? We have to make up our minds. God <laughs> changes his mind and he doesn't change his mind.
8: Oh. Ah. <laughs> yes, so now we're onto
0: the right track. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say that we're insulting God right now very much. We're insulting oh, him. So we're putting him into a box, we're putting him into a category and he doesn't, he's too big for that.
1: Then we don't have, well, then we have nothing to discuss because,
0: uh, no, we could, no, but when, when you need a finite answer that he does
8: something or he doesn't do something, that's not how God, well, if
4: you, if, uh, well, look, we're Jewish
1: and we're supposed to ask questions. And if God himself says in the Torah that, uh, some places he says, I regret, and in other places he says, I don't change my mind, we have to reconcile that. It's not me putting him in a box, it's we have to reconcile the verses. But the
0: answer is gold. That's the answer.
2: There's clear examples where God changes His mind. Said, "Okay, when you can negotiate with somebody, anybody, God, um, and they change their mind." You know, it's going back to that Abraham, going back to you know, destroying uh, Lot.
1: That was, you know, fine uh, and men. I, 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 again, I know that there are examples of God changing his mind. But there are, also okay. examples, there are also examples where God says he doesn't change his mind.
2: That's why I say it's both.
1: So but God changes
2: to... his mind and God never changes his mind. He always changes his mind and he never changes his mind.
0: That was, he stole my answer. <laughs> well, so uh, I got rare, it. I got rare, rare. it. I got it
2: through the airwaves. It's a new feature rare. on Zoom.
0: <laughs> so,
3: ra- rabbi? Yeah. Rabbi. So we started with this, this whole discussion was can God do the impossible? Yes. So yes, he can do both. I'm not I, I'm not gonna reconcile this in my mind.
4: <laughs> okay. All right. Well you
3: you you know, he's not constrained by our laws of logic, remember? He 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 cannot it doesn't have to be. I'm listening to you. So, uh, so-, so so I don't think we have to come to a decision whether he does or doesn't. We can be optimistic that he does. We can be, we can be pessimistic that he doesn't. But either way, he could do both.
0: Well, okay, can there, there is a... there's there put opposites right.
3: together.
1: So one second. I, I didn't really explain it, but I'll go into it now. I was going through the, the, the opposites. But there is a deeper problem with saying that God changes his mind. And that is, does God change? That's a deeper problem, the deeper philosophical problem of saying that God changes his mind. Aside from the contradiction of the verses, which I, I still have, believe you should reconcile, at the very least, because God decides to put himself within logic. Otherwise, we, there's no discussion the whole tarp, We don't have to understand it. Um, but again, if God changes his mind, does God change? Uh, now, some people gave the answer. I think Anita gave it earlier. And, and the answer to that really is... Um this goes also related to what Jacob said earlier. God doesn't necessarily change. We change. And um, God has possibly alternate endings. And uh, if we choose to change, then there's an alternate ending to that story. So it's not that he changed his opinion about us. Uh, we may have changed. Now, at the same time, you can ask, well, what about the times where God doesn't change? So we will reconcile it. reconcile at all because sometimes god says well no matter what you do i'm not gonna change my opinion so let's uh let's go a little bit further let's let's first start with the word regret so let's let's read this paragraph rossi explains the concept of regret as it is applies to god it's not regret in the simple sense it means rather that god's original desire was that first he should give the land to the canaanites and then afterwards take it from them and give it to the jews in other words just as when we say God has hands and God has feet, we don't literally mean God has hands and feet. Some words when applied to God don't necessarily mean it in the same way that we talk about people. So God originally gave the earth, gave the land of Israel to our enemies, to the Canaanites, and then ultimately he decided to give it to us. He didn't change his mind. That was his plan, but it's called regret because it's a change of plan. The same is true regarding God's regret before the flood. Once again, it's not regret in a simple sense. It means rather that God's original desire was first to create the world and then to destroy civilization with the flood. Ah, let me before. This is called regret because in actual fact, the second thought, though originally planned, leads to a different result from the first one. But it's not regret in the simple sense. I don't know why this is uh, giving me trouble, but it's not regret in the simple sense. So what this is saying is God doesn't change his mind God doesn't change. God cannot change. And God doesn't make mistakes. Okay? God doesn't make any mistakes. Sometimes, however, he determines from the outset that first he will take one course of action, and later he will change it to another course of action. And so first he created humanity, then he wiped them out with a flood, and even though there are some turns along the way, the route is calculated. we see this we see this elsewhere we see this even the story of of king saul and king david the original plan was to give king david the kingship you look in the commentaries in the beginning of the torah It was always clear that judah was going to be the ultimate king of israel so when god says i regret that i was going to that i was going to make saul as king um it's not regret in the sense that we have regret, but it's saying that you know this was the original plan but you know the plan pivots as time goes on. And this can dovetail on something we said earlier in the class, our choices are what creates the reality that God is going to make. And so God knew the choices that King Saul was going to make and therefore he created the world around that. Um, And um, so again, and this is, but nevertheless, the Torah calls it regret because um, this, because originally there was, so to speak, one thought first decision and then there was subsequently another decision but it doesn't mean that god changes so again philosophically is god changing no he always had the ultimate idea in mind but to us who live in the earthly plane in the time in the time frame that we live in we are going to hear it as words of regret now maimonides though adds on the interesting layer to this whole discussion and he says something very interesting he says whenever god promises something good it will for sure come to pass. Whenever God promises something bad, it may not come to pass. So let's Mm. read this and then we'll unpack that. So he says like this, prophecies of retribution, for example, if a prophet says so-and-so will die, or in this year there will be a famine or war and the like, if the prophecy does not come true, this does not prove the prophet is a false prophet, nor do we say, look, he foretold and his words are not fulfilled. This is because God is slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and is prone to having change of heart regarding meeting punishment. It is possible that the intended recipients of the prophecy repented and they were forgiven, as was the case with the people of Nineveh that, that you referenced earlier, or that the retribution will be put on hold as was the case of Hezekiah. If, however, a prophet foretold that good would come and such and such will occur, and the good that was prophesied did not materialize this is surely a false prophet for any good that god decrees even if the decree is provisional will never be retracted so um what we have now this is going to confuse us a little bit i'm sorry this is the most confusing class of all and I'll, i'll get to the comments in a moment so we said earlier that that god from the outset Uh, doesn't change his mind in in the simple sense, but rather from the outset, he knew that, um, you know, there's going to be this and then there's going to be that. So similarly, we say about negative things that when God changes his mind regarding negative, that means that God originally uh, planned for the negative thing to happen. And then through prayer, it would change. Okay. Um, the question is why, when it comes to good things, um, doesn't it change?
0: Do you want to answer?
1: No, not yet. So the question is why with good things does God not ever change his mind, but with bad he does. And, um, the answer is really that God. God operates always to a certain extent with a element of mercy. And therefore, even when God tells us about the negative thing that's going to happen in truth, it's almost, you can say, a call to action. So when God promises a negative promise, it is almost like, as we said earlier, there are alternate endings to that. And it's really up to us to decide what the ending of that is going to be. So God generally operates in a very good manner. You know, although we discuss always, um, you know, God is, um, you know, vengeful. That was a discussion in a different class. But God is determined to act with kindness and mercy. And even in a case where he tells us that there's going to be something negative, what that means is that really, um, he was just trying to get us to do something, to, to, to do an action, to create the alternate... Uh, reality that he created and as i said a moment earlier the alternate reality is created when we change ourselves well, let me just read what we hear what we have over here uh, by the way i do want to point out some people might say well what about uh king pharaoh god took away king pharaoh's free will it says in the Torah, god took away king pharaoh's free will um the commentaries say yes god did take away king pharaoh's free will but ultimately uh, if Pharaoh really and truly wanted, he still could have made the right choice. So again, even in cases where God takes away our free will, we still, if we push ourselves hard enough, we can make the right choice. Um, it was just a lot harder. As it says, God made his heart hard. He made his heart hard. It wasn't completely impossible. It was just harder. Now you may ask, well, what if Pharaoh repented and decided to send the Jews free? <laughs> what happened with the whole celebration? We would sit by the Passover
6: Seder. Uh,
1: Moses came to Pharaoh and uh, he did a couple of plagues and then he let us free and we went away. It'd be boring Passover Seder. Like, you know, where would Manischewitz be today? So again, this, again all of these things, when we talk about God will cause our minds to spin. And I, again, you have to come back to the previous answer. We said that God created the world knowing what our choices are going to be and knowing what King Pharaoh's choice is going to be. He created the reality based on that in that case are there multiple worlds are there multiple worlds um well there are multiple worlds but there's only one physical world <laughs> uh but there are alternate realities yes uh that are real just they're spiritual um there's a story with the Shem of the Shem of uh, uh, there was one time a person in the synagogue screamed at another person in the synagogue saying I'm, I'm gonna tear you apart like a fish and obviously, he didn't do it physically, but then the Baal Shemto had his students, you know, all touch hands and he showed him a vision of the guy who said this nasty line tearing the other person apart like a fish. And uh, the explanation, as he said, was in a different universe, a spiritual universe, what he said is actually happening. And so, to an extent, there is an alternate uh, universe, but not here. Uh, someone says, All right, we changed ourselves to prayer. Yes, exactly. There was a video I was going to show, but everybody got it. Somebody says that is totally confusing. I'm confused too. Confusing is very Jewish. I agree. Uh, someone wrote, depends on the circumstance. He is the judge. Yaakovino's favorite, favorite people. Hashem moves towards them. Okay. So, all very, very good points. So, in summary, when God has determined tact with kindness, nothing, nothing can cause God to change that. From the outset, that is the only possible outcome. However, when God has thought tact with justice, Included in the original thought is always the possibility of changing God's mind by bringing about a kinder result. So we cover this week a lot of mind-twisting questions. Okay, and uh, hopefully you walk away today confused and understanding that there's always a lot more to learn and a lot more to know. And um, sometimes one answer doesn't fully fit with the other. Um, sorry. Okay. Um. But that is how it is. I I did want to um, end up with a video, but we're very, very late. It's because we started late. It's because technical difficulties were abound. Um, I have one video which really shows um, the message that we spoke about in the beginning of the class, how when we want to be godlike, we can do the impossible. Um, But if anybody has a question before I move on to that video, because I know some people might hop off, uh, it's a five minute video, but if anybody has any questions, um
3: can you send us that video rabbi by email so we can look at it because i do have to hop off
1: yeah yeah or it'll also be in the recording but yeah uh, actually i can't send it to you but uh, it'll be in the in the recording okay you'll see it there but it's all about the power to do the impossible and so you know today we've all been talking about god's impossible feats and as many of you have said throughout the class how god can do things that are impossible to the point where you didn't like when i tried to answer a question <laughs> and but we have to remember that god's impossibility applies to us as well and so this is a very empowering thought so i really want to share it uh if
0: you- i just i just uh, felt like i didn't get to answer enough questions
1: there's there's never enough time this is impossible there's not enough time but
0: i will
1: one second i will open up for more i will open up for
0: more discussion right after I show the video and even I- though the video is very long i'm only showing five minutes of it
7: At the time that I started as a rabbi in Johannesburg where my business job was, and I established a base' HaMedrash there, it wasn't even a half day job, the, 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 the teaching and the Torah, they were really two full day jobs. So my family paid quite a heavy price in terms of that. And was that the right thing to be doing? Uh, and questions started mounting and mounting, and uh, I thought it was time on the first trip to the United States, which was in 1976, I think, to try and get to see the reverend, who I'd heard so much about, I remember asking him about some limitations that I felt that I don't think that this is realistic, and he said, "I shouldn't give up one for the other. My impact could be much further if I was doing both. I should do more in." In, in the terror world and do more in the abundance and the cure world and keep the business as well and teach more and do more it, it was just like more and more more and where where does that come from i'm already up to it yeah der
0: basser
9: vadamit er ha mug <speaking> bo mitamit ide wa hab bolo was gumts geyna tsweiteri und in seinem saleis it is azie heli za hab das weck in deinem bu and a the Kude nor the the was peace damnable to gestanden in the Hell. The a race in the was in same Indian table, which the Free Giverna the
3: אחרי הנישואים, היינו ביחיד אצל הרבא, אני ביחד עם אשתי. אשתי. אז הייתה מורה בבית ספר חבד, כאן בנחל סער חבד, וגם הייתה פילה בין בנשי, נשים בקראת מלאכי ובו מסביב. והיא כתבה שלוקחים מעל הכוחות, פועלים, הפעילות היא מעל הכוחות שיש לפעול, אמרה הרבא כך, שישנה, אמרה, מהשוור מהרבי הקודם, ידוע, אמרה מהרבי הקודם, שכאשר יש אחלטה לפעול למעלה מהכוחות, אז עצם ההחלטה פואלת למעלה שיפתחו צינורות חדשים וכוחות חדשים שיוכלו לפעול גם למעלה מהכוחות.
9: Und das den wie zu Isle Pekche, wie auf der Eberste Zineris Hadoshik. Und das Meer, wie heute, öffnet der Eberste Zineris Hadoshik. Und das der soll durchführen nach Lottose Atebo und durchführen ihr wie er sich gewünscht und wie er Machli
8: Coming here to Pittsburgh, the first few years I was teaching in the school where my mother-in-law, ala shalom, was the principal. In the early 90s, my mother-in-law wrote to the Rebbe. She had a minor stroke, and she wrote that she will change roles with me, that she will teach, and I will take a role of a principal. It's not like she discussed it with me and asked me. (laughs) At that point, in our life, can I know her, we had a house full of little children. She came back and she said the Rebbe gave her on her suggestions that I will become the principal. I sat down and wrote to the Rebbe and asked for a bracha, for the koyach and the yecholet, for the strength and the ability to do what I need to do with my children at home and with my children in school. The Rebbe answered that a Kadosh Baruch Hu, who bala koach and bala yicholat, uvilti b'al gvul v'tosafto meruba v'cholamay sif may sifim lo. The child of a halachin and
9: a day n'amt men into the keres gloim that the giber n'amt into the keres nelom. And the father is going to be a halach yeme rebert and it machli sain and to da mire <Hebrew> bekeir. Also sein Kirchen der mitte have to find so much impossible things. why I'm not that's something else so? Als Autos muss man was sie Also ein Stück Talent, das ist Wie zu die Erkennung noch. Ich hoffe, die Erkennung die
0: Yeah, no, the, the last part is just the story of Rabbi Staines who had a similar story. But the point
1: of that is all you saw, people would come to the Rebbe and say, I've done everything. I've done the impossible. I've done more than I could do. And again, if the Rabbi says, when you decide to do even more than you can do, then uh, God will open up new channels for you to do the impossible. So I'm hoping that happens to me. We all become Superman, super Jews, and uh, that we all in our own lives can do the impossible because there is, as the Rebbe would demand of us, there is so much more that we can do. And when we say, I've done all that I can do we can still do more. It's a hard message to internalize. People come to the Rebbe saying, I've done too much. Rabbi Steinsaltz, for those who know what he's done, his writings, uh, it's all because of the Rebbe. He kept saying, I, I've done enough. And the Rebbe says, okay, you're doing that. Now I'm going to give you another project, you know, to the point where he says, I stopped coming to the Rebbe. I didn't want more projects, you know, <laughs> that's the end of the video. And so this is the empowering message uh, this week's class to mm-hmm. us is that we can bring the impossibility into our own lives and there's so much more good that we can do. So uh, thank you for
0: joining and I'm going to stop the recording and uh, you're more than welcome to ask any questions you want.